there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. The sky was taped to the ceiling. It felt like reality. It looked like the real thing. The plastic edges of a tarp across the floor, the slightly blurred photographs inserted in the windows. A boy of decades long creating homes for two, desperately clinging to the fantasy of finding someone who could make the props and scenic design become life. Pinocchio in reverse, a live boy in a fabricated world of his own device praying to something bigger than he to make the sky come to life. But the clouds didn't move when he stared at them, and the trees didn't sway in the breeze. He didn't see that the sky was taped to the ceiling. His lack of acknowledgement didn't change the fact that it was. I never noticed the facade, even though it was a falsehood created by blind hope until boots, candy, a wig, Who is she? A card, a blog, a caution. I never saw the pieces of tape casually tucked away, even though I put it there, until a drink, a kiss, a laugh. Why is she art, a beer, a declaration? I never spied the watercolor sky and the torn paper edges, even though it was I who painted it and tore it until a deck of cards, a question, an answer. How is she a poem, a crooked smile, and more realness in her eyes than in all of the manufactured worlds and rooms made for others? Like seeing an Edward Hopper painting for the first time after only seeing it in reproduction, colors spat in my face, smells shot up my nose, sounds battered my eardrums, and the paint swirled with life and blood and promise. The clouds now move gently or fiercely. The trees ache toward the sun and the earth, and the sky has no edges, no boundaries, no fakery. And I am Saul, become Paul as the scales fall from my eyes. She is the blue fairy of the fable. She is the magic that makes sky become genuine. And in her lovely, generous spirit, Pinocchio becomes real in turn. The detail that knocks people out is the wedding rings. Wait, let me back up. She had me at shut the fuck up. Uh, No, hold on. I was a child of divorce. Unlike most, I was a child of multiple divorces. And so as I started the cycle of falling in love with girls in high school, with young women in college, 
I was determined to be married once, period. I gave myself no wiggle room on this. Once I said, till death do us part, it didn't end until I was dead. Except, I've not been very good at marriage. Two marriages before I was 40, two walks down that aisle, two divorces. At age 42, I was exactly the person I never wanted to be. So with two blazing capital D's on my chest and forehead, I embarked on roughly five years of not getting married and becoming the guy I wouldn't let my sister date if my sister dated men, accidentally running into women I'd slept with but couldn't recall their names on the L or in Whole Foods. I went on an OK Cupid date with the roommate of someone I dated two weeks before, the on-again, off-again relationship with the very accomplished activist who really didn't like me much, women young enough to be my daughter. By 47, I was even worse than before. I was the very stereotype of a middle-aged, divorced man. And it occurred to me that I was the common denominator, not the women I chose to love. I was the problem, and so I stopped. No more falling in love for me. No more searching for the one. I simply couldn't take it anymore. Sure, I dated here and there half-heartedly, but I put almost no effort into it. I spent most of my time working or working out or reading. I wrote volumes about my failed relationships. Giving up has a sort of freedom to it. And after 30 years of dating and marrying and divorcing... I dropped any pretense that she was out there. We met at a storytelling night. She was backstage managing things. I was backstage doing what I do best, talking nonstop. It turned out that, that we'd been in the same room about half a dozen times in the last few years and had never really met. Hey, will you shut the fuck up, she said as I looked at her for the first time and was completely smitten. Our first date was lunch at the Haymarket Pub and Brewery. We ate, drank, and talked, and then as she was leaving, we kissed. A week passes, texts, emails, poetry. The second date, we casually admit in the middle of an art gallery that we love each other. Our third date, in a conversation about family and life, marriage and engagement in general, this happened. I've been thinking about what it would be like if, to be married. Yeah, even though I swore I'd never do that again, I have too. You think you'd want to be married to someone like me? You'd have to ask me. Will you marry me? Yes. A week later, in spite of a 12-hour trip to Kansas in my Prius, as I tried to talk myself out of this improbable thing... My mother gave me an antique sapphire ring, a one-of-a-kind family heirloom, without even meeting her. I don't know how I know this, she said, but this is her ring. But the wedding rings. We bought our wedding rings soon after we got engaged and decided to have, decided to have them inscribed, but not tell each other what we had had written inside the rings until our wedding day. We never talked about it. I decided that for her ring, the word amo eternum, Latin for infinite love, was what I wanted for hers. Her ring was pretty tiny, so the jeweler and I decided on infinite love instead. We picked up the rings, tried them on, and took them home. We cheated and looked. Inside my ring, she had inscribed amo eternum. 
We flew to Vegas in September with two of our best friends and got hitched at the Chapel of the Bells, which was flanked by an all-night liquor store and a gun shop. It was perfect. We're both pretty good at bad relationships, I told her. Why not try a good relationship for a change? Everyone I know, everyone I work with, perform with, hang out with, has noticed the difference in me. This woman brings me a sense of unrelenting joy that I didn't know existed. She turns me on, she makes me laugh, she makes me think. She's good for you, someone said. She changed the rules. She shows me what a marriage is supposed to be. She is the one best reason for me to be a better husband than I have been. She's my game changer. Amo eternum. A friend who'd seen me go through the debauched five years heard this story recently and exclaimed, I want to believe. I hope she does, because I do. Amo eternum. Incognito. She towers on $17 heels and a gown of green and sex. This, the day she shared a secret. This, the night she screamed her love and she sparkled in the streetlights. The highway spins under tires. She inhabits the passenger seat like a hammock stretched or curled, legs in a killer smile and a laugh like throaty music. This, the first mile of 400. This, the moment of soonish and she shines like a firefly in the daytime. The bed is an expanse of real estate. She bounces on it like a child and a lover with a bag of sticks and a tambourine. This, the day of ping pong. This, the night of a rock and roll goddess. This, the night of late night confessions and she glows in the dark like a Zeppelin t-shirt in black light. Every once in a while, you find someone who's iridescent and when you do, Nothing will ever compare. I don't know how I know, she said, my mother, but this is her ring. When I brought it back from Kansas, I felt I needed to ask her properly. So I wrote a story to tell her as the setup to giving her her real ring. This is the story I told on the floor of her room of a hoarder's apartment that she stayed in. It started with an episode of In Search Of, starring the post-Spock Leonard Nimoy. For the most part, my impressionable mind was fascinated by, but ultimately unimpressed by the myths of the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and the plethora of UFO abductions. Crop circles? Nah. But the Yeti? Something about the Yeti took hold of my imagination and drove me in an obsessive sort of way. I understood the Yeti, a creature of solitude, the only one of his kind, destined to roam the planet with no companionship but his thoughts and his passions. Sure, I held down a solid job and had a relatively stable social life. Late at night, however, I could be found pouring through ancient texts I had procured through eBay and huge tomes of newspaper clippings, some so yellow, yellow and old, touching them felt like almost destruction, all detailing hints of the existence of the abominable snowman, the Yeti. The scientific community generally, generally regards the Yeti as a legend, given the lack of conclusive evidence, but it remains one of the most famous creatures of cryptozoology, 
analysis of samples associated with claimed yetis found a sequence of mitochondrial DNA that matched a sample from an ancient polar bear jawbone found in Norway that dates back to between 40,000 and 120,000 years ago. And once in a while, I'd let someone close to me know about my compulsion to find him. Inevitably, these friends became distant almost immediately, and I could catch a whiff of an alarmed pity when I'd see them in the hallway or the cafeteria at work. So I stopped telling people about him. My search was to be a lonely one, like the Yeti himself. I was resigned to this reality. Two weeks ago, my life changed. Having just returned from my 15th trip to Nepal and fresh out of any more vacation days for the fiscal, I went to stick the key into my apartment door only to find the door both unlocked and slightly ajar. I entered the hallway and caught the distinct smell of cinnamon and cherry pipe tobacco. I followed the scent and smoked slowly and turned a corner like a spy in a movie. In my living room chair sat a huge monster of a man, fully eight feet tall and covered from head to toe in blinding white fur, like Sully from Monsters, Inc., complete with the jaw filled with razor-sharp fangs. He was smoking a calabash pipe, and it seemed he had completely emptied my refrigerator prior to lighting up. You've been looking for me, have you? I was stunned into silence as my lips were glued shut. Does it speak? He sounded like Sam Elliott, I stammered out. No. Yes, he sounds like me, but no, I am the Yeti. You aren't real. You don't believe I exist after spending all of your expendable time looking for me. Are you stupid? Perhaps brain damaged? If I am not real, who ate your leftover chicken pot pie? I saw him in my chair. I heard him. I smelled him. But my mind was working furiously to comprehend the reality of his existence. Why? Why you? Why now? Lots of people have been searching for me, and I've become an expert at obfuscation. I know exactly how to make myself blurry when I sense a photo being taken, but you are different. You seem to think I'm lonely and lost, but you're the lonely one in this equation, and such loneliness in pursuit of, a pursuit of a grail is hard to miss. I'm supposed to be alone. It is my destiny. You, on the other hand, are not. You are not of my kind. You are supposed to live and laugh and love. Your capacity for love is your greatest gift, and you're squandering that gift. Even a Yeti can see this, that you give that love to those unworthy of it or without a similar capacity is just a tragedy. I, uh, I don't know what to say. Say nothing, just listen. Yet he doesn't show himself to just anyone. Here's the deal, kid. One day you'll find her. You won't be looking for her. She will, like the Yeti, appear, and you will know. And when she does, do not waffle. Make room for her. There's a gaping hole inside you that is hers to fill. Give her your everything. Love her, protect her, listen to her. Endeavor every day from that moment on to let her know she is the one. You got it? How, how, how will I know it's her? How the hell should I know? I'm a freaking Yeti, remember? I dated a unicorn once about 200 years ago. It didn't go well. No females of my kind around, so I'm fairly limited on that sort of thing. Suffice it to say, you'll just 
No, okay? I nodded numbly. Thanks for the grub. The pineapple was a nice touch. And he reached into his fur and pulled out a tiny box. His giant paw gingerly placed it in my hand and he stood all eight feet and bared his massive fangs. This is not for you. This is for her. As he left the apartment, I swear he seemed blurry. I read that story. I pulled out the ring. I gave it to her and I asked her to marry me for a second time. She took the ring and for a second time, she said yes. I swore when I started this whole tattoo process that I would never ink anything but pieces of literature and things I needed to remember. I swore I wasn't going to put a girlfriend's name or I heart mom. I was not going to paint myself into that corner, let's say. And for the most part, I was very lucky because I didn't do that. But then she wrote this for me. My steel-boned lover, his life a writerly map of chance, his eyes like Egyptian chocolate, his smile enameled like the rear gate of Nirvana. We lay down and dreamed together speaking psychically in our sleep. Our humanity levels a platform for the infinite embrace. Know that our deeds are better than our bodies or worse. Our truth exhausts all of them. All of our eyes were made to see. We stand up and observe together, bursting in on ordained beauties. My lover laughing exotically, just long enough to cradle all my months in his haiku breaths. My lover, stepping unshyly into the instance between his paces, go my directives of arousal. Know that our deeds are better than our bodies, or worse. Our truth exalts all of them. Our humanity levels a platform for the infinite embrace. My 49th birthday, tattoo number eight across my right bicep. Our humanity levels a platform for the infinite embrace. Meeting and marrying for a third time was daunting, but when you find your soulmate, what the fuck else are you gonna do? You know, walk away from a sure thing? You know, hold on to your chips and wait for the next hand or dice roll? Fuck that. When you meet someone that is just right, you go all in. And then when you win the whole table, you get a tattoo to commemorate the win and remind yourself that taking the big risks is the way to get the big rewards. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share the Peculiar Journeys podcast with someone you like. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.